Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, you know, as we come to Christmas again, and what we try to do this uh, December as we got together as a teaching team, we really wanted to not just stop to look at the incarnation, the, the doctrine, the theology of it, but what we wanted to do is remind ourselves about how God has revealed himself to us throughout Scripture. And if we started off with the God who sees, the God who hears, the God who cares, and we saw it through the life of Hagar as she was suffering and alone and hopeless and broken, that God speaks to her right in the midst of her sorrow, right in the midst of her pain, and she goes away from her going, the God who sees, the God who hears. And then last week, Pastor Phil's, and, and I want to understand something. We're coming from a very personal place when, when we share these messages. It feels as if you're friends with Phil's at all, Pastor Phil's, he's been through a hard time this last year. And as we talked, it was, I said, how do you see God this year, Phil's? Like, what do you want to communicate? And he's like, God, my healer. And we're not coming then from like these doctrinal seminary ideas. We're coming from something very personal to us. Because so often for me personally, I wonder, does God see? Does God care? You know, I would say absolutely yes. You guys, Phil's, is God your healer, Phil's? In your brokenness, in your sorrow, God is my healer. And today what I want us to see then, what we're going to look at as we look at Matthew chapter 2, what we're going to see is these men, right, these wise men that come to Jerusalem looking for the king. They're not of Jewish descent. They're not people of the promise. They're coming from, most scholars believe, from Babylon because they see a star shining in the east. And when they recognize the star, they see the star, they say it's the star of the king. And it's a star that gives them hope. And again, and we're living in a, a world today that we are so bombarded with technology. We are so connected to each other in an instant, aren't we? Man, I could be in Hungary and I could put my, get on my phone and talk to you, just like in Star Trek, right? Back in the day, if you're one of those people. But what I, what I want you to see, we're so connected and yet we're so alone. We've never been more isolated than we are today. We're more unknown to each other than we've ever been. Because all we do, even as we take pictures of ourselves and put them on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it is, whatever media you're looking at, is that really you? I mean, come on, how many of you guys really, really smile with duck lips? Come on. <laughs> Nobody does, Right? Who, who posed, did you ever pose at In-N-Out before you had a cell phone? I don't think so. But we do all these things now trying to show ourselves to the world. But is that really who we are? No. So we find ourselves more alone. And I want us to see something. As the world, mostly there in the Middle East and North Africa and Southern Europe, is suffering under the regime of the Roman Empire. Understand this. People struggle with hope much back then as they do today. That people need hope to much today as ever. And I want you guys to understand something. We have hope. The only reason we don't have hope is because we've forgotten something. The only reason we don't have hope is because we've strayed, we've drifted from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're looking for hope or purpose in the world and not who has come. And I love going around town. I love seeing the nativity scenes. They're all over the place, right? There's decorations everywhere. And if that doesn't like stir you up to be a child again, to be a child again, 
to have anticipation, to have this waiting for that day to come around the corner. Because you guys, I mean, think about this. When you were a child, and be honest, when mom started wrapping up those gifts, did you count them? Did you count the gifts under the tree? Be honest. And then if you had siblings, did you make sure you had more than them or that they were the equal amount? Which one were you? I was making sure that we all had the same amount because I cared a lot for my siblings. Wow, my wife is the one who speaks. But seriously, but here's the thing. We looked at those gifts. They were a message to us, right? They were a message to us about what mom and dad may have gotten us or what we wish for or what we long for. But there is anticipation. There was hope. And as we look at these three wise men today, might be two, might be five. We don't know for sure. But we know what? There's more than one. And as we look at these guys, as they come from Babylon to Jerusalem, they come because they're driven by hope. They come because they have faith in what they've been given. And that faith made them move with action. They didn't stay stagnant. They didn't look back at the past. They didn't start talking about their old stories. They went forward into the promise of Christ today. And guys, I want you to keep this in mind. I want to challenge you with this. As we celebrate the Lord's birth, as we celebrate the God who is love, showing his power by coming as an infant and being laid in a feeding trough and wrapped in rags, that's God's display of power. Think about that. God's display of love is not people coming to adore him, but coming to die for them. That's God's display of love. And in a world that is completely upside down, the way of Christ is the only thing that can make your life right side up. And I want us to remember that. And if we've strayed and we've drifted from the hope we have in Christ, I hope this morning you'll come back to the hope of Christ. Because the Apostle Peter said this, we have, been, we have come to the hope that is a living hope, that is inexpressible, inexpressible joy and full of glory. That's the hope the Christian has, and I hope you remember it this morning. All right, let's go ahead and uh, let's go, if you have your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. The first question you have to ask when you look at this text is, who are these guys? Where where are they coming from in the east, and why are they looking for a king? Think about it. What makes them, what drives them, what drives them, what makes them even think to look for a star, right? What makes them then, when they see that star, do you guys know how far it is from Babylon to Jerusalem? Anybody have any ideas? Phil's will buy you lunch if you get the right answer. Anybody know? 900 miles. Yes, 900 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. It's a four-month trek if you're in a caravan. And I want you to see something. So these men travel 900 miles to come to Jerusalem. And remember remember what, what they said today as they talk, go to Herod. It's kind of insulting. They go to King Herod right? Who's the king in Jerusalem. And do you guys even notice what they asked? Now, let's say you're King Herod. They say this to him. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Because it sure ain't you, right? (laughs) Like they're coming to Jerusalem to the king, and they're saying, where is the real king, dude? You're the poser. Where's the real guy? Because you're not it. Think about that. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just lay this out for you guys. When you think about Babylon, when you think about these magi, we call them wise men. Some translation call them kings, but they were magi. They were men who studied astrology, philosophy, natural science. These men were given themselves to the study of these things, but I want you to see something else. Do you know who else was a magi in the Bible? Any, have any ideas? It's in the Old Testament. Any guesses? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember what Daniel did for, for King Nebuchadnezzar? He interprets dreams, right? That's what these guys do. And I want you, I, I'm going to, again, this is a plausible scenario because Scripture doesn't give us a lot about it. But the question has to be asked, why are they looking for a star and why do they know what that star signifies? I'll put it to you this way. I believe they had the promise from Daniel chapter 7 that they're looking for the Ancient of Days. They're looking for a Messiah to come that's going to be ruler and king and the anointed one of Israel. And they know this much. He's going to be the seed of King David. Now, keep in mind, you guys, these guys are from Babylon. These guys are from Babylon, and they're coming to Jerusalem, and they're looking for the king. And they're looking for him. They've come 900 miles looking for him. And I want you to see something else. They come knowing who he is, and and, and they understand the star, what it signified. And notice what it says there, what they say. They've come to worship. So do you think for a moment they think this guy is just a political king? Do you think for a moment that they just think he's just another king out of the many kings that Israel's ever had? They come to worship him to a king that's not even theirs, to a Jewish king. And so as we look at Daniel and as we think about what he had handed down, keep this in mind too. When Judah, when Judah and Benjamin were exiled, the southern kingdoms exiled to Babylon, how many came back? How many came back with Nehemiah? How many came back with Ezra? Not a lot, a remnant. So the majority of Jewish people at that time stayed in Babylon. They stayed in the areas they settled, and they did not come back. And I'm going to say, I believe this. I believe they were a witness to the promise that God was going to send a Messiah to Israel in the person of the lineage of the King, of da- King David, and that he was going to sit on David's throne, and he was going to be the Ancient of Days, and these men got it. What else would drive them? What else would help them understand that when they saw this star, this celestial body, something it was an alignment of, of a few stars, maybe three or four stars, but whatever it was, when they saw it in the east, when they came out of the east, when they saw that star, they knew what it signified, and I want I, I lay this at your feet, they knew and they had hope and they were looking for it. Now, I really want you to think about that. Because I, I believe this. As we drive around town and, you know, man and I were shopping, at, we were just walking around the mall and there's a couple of the nativity scenes and shop windows which shocked me and they pleasantly, as Hungarians would say, I was pleasantly disappointed because I didn't expect to see it there. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I see them around here in Fallbrook when I drive around town, you see these nativity scenes. But do you guys remember what it points to? As we look at these these scenes and these decorations and, and as we look at stars on tops of trees and as we see these nativity scenes in front of the bank, in front of a hospital, do you remember the sign, what it points to? Do you remember as a believer? I hope you do. I hope we remember that it points that our Savior came in the form of a child that he might redeem his people from a fallen world. 
I hope it fills you with joy and expectation because I'll be honest with you, as Christians, we become the humbuggers. We're always humbugging everything. Oh, I don't like Starbucks cups. Who cares? They're cups. Oh, I don't like Santa Claus. Like he's going to steal the glory of Jesus Christ? We just start being so negative and it's like, but you stop looking at that and remember what we're celebrating? We're celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords coming in the form of an infant. We have a number of babies around here. Look at these babies and remember, your God went that far for you. He was that vulnerable for you. That dependent for you. My daughter was born on December 7th. I preached that Sunday. She was born on a Saturday. I preached that Sunday. And I preached on the incarnation. And I remember they took Mary out and I followed her. And I remember holding her. And I remember looking at her. She looked like a little bird. No offense, sweetheart. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. But I remember looking at her. I'm just holding her. She seemed so vulnerable. And I knew right then, and I think every parent feels this way, every grandparent feels this way, you held the child, your niece, your nephew, anybody in your family, really, and you hold the child, and you're like, I love you. You have my heart. I love you. Now, if I knew what I was going to go through, <laughs> yes, I love you <laughs> with all my heart. And I want you to think about this. That's how God looks at each one of you. He loves you with all his heart. And as these wise men come out of Babylon and they come to witness, to see this Messiah, their caravan, there's a caravan, they come to Jerusalem and it creates a stir. They're like, it it creates this, this electricity and this buzz, like what are these guys doing here? But I want you to see something else I find so beautiful. They understood that the king of the Jews just didn't come for Israel, but that he came for the world. They did not say, like, we're not qualified, we're not welcomed, God doesn't want us to come. No, they came, and they were coming to see with their own eyes and to bow down on their own knees, and they were going to worship this Messiah that was just a poor, insignificant nothing in Bethlehem. But they knew exactly who he was, that he was God incarnate. So I want you to see something. They They had faith that produced hope that produced action. Again, faith that produces hope, that produces action, that they did something with what they understood. And I want us to remember, as you guys go around town today as you go home, and as you drive by people's houses and you see the nativity scene, remember it's your sign to remind you that you are a witness. You're a witness to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that he has brought into the world and you would do something with it. You would do something with it. Don't settle for what's been. Don't settle for what your relationship has been with your relatives. Don't settle for these things. As you come to your your family's houses this holiday season, this Christmas season, be prayed up. Be praying for your uncle. Be praying for your cousin that just rubs you wrong, everything. They push your buttons. Say, God, not this year. This year is going to be different because we go with hope. We go in faith and we anticipate that God wants to do something. I want you to see something now. As they come and they're they're moved to action, I I love it. They're moved to action. As they come, look at verses two and six. They come before 
Herod and saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. So Herod the king heard this. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. I want you to see something. That when Herod hears king of the Jews, do you see how he transposes it right away into Messiah? He doesn't just say, oh, the king of David or the the line of David. No, when Herod hears it, this Edomite, when he hears this title given for this boy they're looking for, right away he says, he gets the scribes, he gets the, the, the chief priests, the elders, and he says, hey, where's the Messiah to be born? Now, I want you to see something. What does Messiah mean? It means anointed one, correct? And we get this picture. Go back with me to Samuel. When Samuel, Saul has been rejected as king of Israel. God tells Samuel, I'm picking another guy, a man after my own heart. He directs him to the house of Jesse. And we all know the story. I think it was six of, of Jesse's sons go before him. And Samuel sees the first guy. He's tall, dark, and handsome. And he says, oh, yeah, this guy is the next king of Israel. And God says, nope, next Next, next, next. And finally, they go to Jesse. Samuel goes, Jesse, do you have any other sons? And Jesse goes, yeah, the run at the litter, he's out with the sheep. He's all, no one's sitting down until he gets here. And do you remember what he did when David walked in the room? Do you guys remember what he did? He has a horn of oil, and what does he do with it? Anoints David as king. It was going to be another 15 years before David ascended to the throne but he anoints him as king. When you hear Herod say, where is the Messiah to be born? Where is the Christ to be born? What he's saying is, where is the anointed one to be born? Where is the Messiah supposed to come from? The one who's been anointed to be what? The king of Israel. Now, I want you to understand something too. We're not just talking about any king. When we talk about why these wise men come, they have an idea in their head that according to his human lineage, he's going to be from the line of David. But they also understood from the prophecy of Daniel that he was going to be the Ancient of Days. And somehow, they are going to be able to tie these two beautiful promises together, and that's what causes them to worship. I want you to see this. See, when we come to sing praises to our God, when we come to lift our voices and our hands and put our hands together, we're worshiping the God who has revealed himself to us. And we're allowing our hearts to connect with our brains as we give God the worship that is due his name. It's not some exercise in religious duty or some ritual that we perform. We're coming because we recognize and we understand the one we're worshiping. And I believe these guys are no different. They understand exactly who this Jesus is. And did you notice the different titles he gets in these few verses? Number one, he gets, what, the title of King of the Jews. He gets the title of Messiah. He gets the title of Ruler. He gets the title of Shepherd. This is who, how God has revealed himself to us. He is the King of the Jews. And look what, when we talk about the King of the Jews, look at what Gabriel told Mary back in Luke chapter one. He says, speaking of Jesus, he will be great, It will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Do you notice those two distinctions in that verse? He'll be called what? The Son of who? 
The son of who? Do, do I need Noah to read it for you guys? It's right there. He'll be called what? The son of? Well, who is he referring to? Yes, God. And then look what he says. According to his human nature, the Lord God will give him what? The throne of who? Do you see the two natures coming together here? Please don't overlook it, because if he was just from the line of David, is he worthy of worship? Please say no, people. Please walk with me. No! But if he's the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, is he worthy of worship? Yes! And these men get it. They understand. Please remember. Please wake Wake to the joyous news. This is good tidings from God's own heart. Hey, being born today in Bethlehem is the Savior. And it causes them to rejoice. But he is both. He is one who is worthy of worship. He is the ruler we long for. You know, I was reading some quotes about this. And Tim Keller, who is the pastor of Redeemer Church in Manhattan, he's a big Tolkien fan, big Lord of the Rings fan. And he says, you know the whole point of Lord of the Rings? He says, everybody's looking for a king. Everybody is looking for a king. These wise men, they were tired of Augustus. They were tired of their rulers. They were tired of all those that have to seek to oppress men, and they rise to the top by crawling over people and stomping on people and enslaving people and exploiting people. We serve a God whose throne is righteousness and truth. We serve a God, you guys. I want you to understand this. We serve a God that every tear you've cried, he's kept in a bottle. Think about that. And he's your king. Could you imagine going before a dignitary? A dignitary that would look at you and know everything about you. And instead of being condescending, instead of belittling you, they look at you with compassion. They look at you with understanding. And they say, every tear that you, what is, how's the song called go? Um, I, uh, I kept every teardrop when in darkness you cried, and I begged to remind you that for those tears I died. That's the God we serve. And I want you to see this. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. This is the God that these wise men came to bow down before. This is the guy they they journeyed 900 miles across the desert to get to a, a town called Bethlehem, which is an insignificant town. And they've come to worship an infant or a toddler. Think about it. Really feel that weight. And as you look at what they say here in Matthew uh, chapter 2, notice it says, it says back in um, verses 3 and 4, he says, And Herod called, um, he was troubled, he called the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and, and they were inquired where the Christ was to be born, and Bethlehem of Judea, for so is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Now, I want you to see this, and don't overlook it. This is the danger of knowing Scripture. This is the danger of knowing the Word of God. These men, these scribes and these Pharisees, these chief priests, do you think anybody in Israel knew the Word of God better than them? What do you guys think? 
This, these guys dedicated their lives. Now I want you to think about this. You see these guys come from Babylon, and, and they're, they're dressed to the nines. They're looking sharp. They're coming with this huge entourage. They come to the palace of Herod. They're asking where the king of the Jews is going to be born. And they're like, that's an easy one. In Bethlehem. Micah said that, the prophet. But did they do anything with it? Do you know? So these guys go from Babylon to Bethlehem. Or Babylon to Jerusalem. 900 miles. You know how far it is from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? Our Hungarians? Four miles. Out of curiosity, just out of curiosity, do you think these guys would go? The chief priests and the scribes? Just like, hey, these guys came 900 miles. May I'll just follow them. We'll have a chat on the way. It's just a stretch of the legs. And we'll go see what these guys are looking at. We're going to go see what these guys are looking for. No, they had all the right answers, but they didn't have God. And I'm telling you right now, when's the last time we acted on God's word? I really, want to, I really want to put that before you. Because, see, it's because we don't act on God's word that we don't grow. Because worship has gotten stagnant is because we're not believing in faith anymore. It's become just an exercise. But as we look at these guys, as we compare them to the chief priests and the scribes who knew the word of God in and out, these guys had a small piece of scripture, but they believed in it. They hoped in it. They looked for its answer, and they acted when they saw the sign. They acted. They only had a small piece of Scripture. On the other hand, these chief priests and these scribes, they have what? They have all of Scripture, and yet their hearts remain unmoved. God didn't come to give us knowledge. He came to give us himself. He came to give us himself. And he wants us to what? Love him. And he wants us to follow him. And he wants us to obey him. This is when life is transformed. This is when life, it's just not about knowing. It's about acting like these men do. And they come. And the, one of the last things you saw there, we saw the Messiah, King of the Jews. We saw the anointed one. We saw the ruler that the world longs for. And then they, they say this of him. Micah says what? He'll be a shepherd of his people Israel. You know what Jesus said about himself in John 10, 11? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Do you know him? Do you remember a few weeks back, maybe a few months ago, we showed that video of the preacher going off on who Jesus is, and he kept saying, I wish I could describe him to you. I wish I could describe him to you. He's the highest thought in philosophy. And he just goes off. And he kept saying, do you know him? Do you know him? Jesus says here, my sheep will know me. My sheep will know me. And you know, I love watching like Blue Planet and things like that. You know one thing that blows my mind? You'll be on a beach after all of these um, seals have been born and their moms will go out to, to hunt to you know, get, some, get some milk going. And when they come back on the shoreline, they can hear their pups cry, and they go towards it. I'm, and all these pups, rah, you know, it just sounds like nothing to us, right? Complete chaos. But to them, with their ear, they can hear their pup. It's amazing. You think God's any different? He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And I believe this, you guys. As 
as we are in the Word, why do I dive in the Word? Why do I read it in the morning? Why do I meditate on it? Why do I study it? Because I want to know God. I want to know His voice. When He touches me, I want to know His touch. I don't want religion. I don't want fixed calendars of ritual that I practice year in and year out. I don't need that. But you know what I do need? I need God. And he's revealed himself to me in the person of Jesus Christ. And that man has radically changed my life. And I can't deny him. And I seek now to obey and to know. And as these men, I want you to see this. He is the good shepherd. And he says this. He says, come. Come to me. I won't cast you out. Welcome him in. Welcome him in. And now let's close out with how they respond. Um, Verses 10 and 11. So they go to Herod. They tie this talk. Somewhere in their journey, they got to Jerusalem, and the star disappeared. So they have to go to the scribes and the chief priest. But when they come out, it says, when they, when they saw the star, they exceedingly, um, they, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. With great joy, they rejoiced exceedingly. So all of a sudden, they come out. They get back into the caravan. They look up, and there's the star, and it's pointing them to right where Jesus is. And notice those words again, you guys. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Right now, in Argentina, that nation is rejoicing. Hope I didn't blow that for you if you T-vote the World Cup. But they're stoked. They're going nuts, bonkers, right? Because they won the World Cup. What would he do, right? Four more years, someone else will be champ. But these guys come out because they get back what they came, what they're looking for. When's the last time you had any kind of exceeding joy? I mean, Joy. You just, it's just so, it's so swelling up inside of you. It just, it's exploding. It's just, you're stoked, you're happy. It's beyond emotion. It's like, you're euphoric. It's like, wow. When's the last time? Think about it. These guys have it because they were, they're going to find Jesus, the one they were looking for. You know, one of the happiest days of my life was the day I got married, and uh, Miranda came out. She's in her little white dress, you know. Miranda's a little, little tiny, little petite. And uh, I saw her and I said to her, you look like a princess. She goes, oh, thanks, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. But now the wedding's going to happen. And I'm in the back and I'm really thirsty. And my friend, my best man's playing bongos. My, the, the, my, the minister is looking at his notes. And I slip out the door because I'll get some water in the green room. So I'm drinking water in the green room. And they come running out. They run through the one door, they run out the other one. So I go into the hall, and I'm like, hey, where are you guys going? What's going on? I thought a fire or something was going on. They're like, oh, where were you? I'm like, I was in the green room drinking water. I'm like, what are you doing? They're all like, we thought you were booking it, man. We are going to tackle you. We are going to tackle you in the parking lot. I'm like, tackle me? Go find where she is. She's the one who should be booking, not me. You know, she's the one who's marrying me, you know. And it, it, it was so funny. They're like, well, we just want to make sure you're staying. And I'm like, I'm staying. This is a good day for me. It's a great day for me. And I was stoked. And I'm going to tell you something. The day I got saved, 
I was set free. Do you remember that feeling? The weight of my sin was gone. The guilt and the stain and the smell of sin was washed from me. And I rejoiced. That's the joy the Bible's talking about as these men come out and they see the star again. And look what it says. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And notice what they do. They fell down and they worshiped him. You know what this word means? It means they got on all fours, they got on all fours, and they put their foreheads to the ground in in front of a toddler. Really, really understand this. So you can see Mary, she's sitting there looking at these guys. These guys, again, they're wise men, they're, they're wealthy, they're dressed, and they see Jesus and they know who he is. And so they fall down and they worship him with their foreheads to the ground. Because they understand who Jesus Christ is. And they're like, you're worthy. You're worthy. It's the same expression when Moses was for the burning bush on his face before the Lord. And you see this toddler Jesus, and you see his mother looking at these guys, and she's like, what is going on? And then they come, you guys, I want you to see it. Then opening their treasures... They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and more. There's a lot of symbolism in the royalty and in his priesthood with the gold and the frankincense. But one thing about the, the myrrh that I found very interesting, it says of the myrrh, it was given to him who was to taste death for everyone. That's what it signified. They knew this. And I want you to understand something. But do you see as they come to worship, they open up their gifts and they give them to the Lord? Do you understand that's what we do when we worship? We live in a world today where people judge churches based on how the music made them feel. And they believe that worship should make them feel good. And I'm saying, you got it all wrong. We got it all wrong. Worship is our thankfulness and our recognition of who God is. The Puritan Stephen Charnock said this, when we believe that we should be satisfied rather than God glorified in our worship, then we put God below ourselves as though he had been made for us rather than we had been made for him. This was written in the 1600s. It's not a modern quote. They had the same problem then as we do now. We put our needs, our desires above God's. And instead of recognizing and seeing God for who he is, we're just here like, no, make me feel good. No, give God the glory. I give God my tithe. I give God my time. I give God my best. I give God my treasures. I give them to the Lord. And I say they're for you and for your glory. And as we look at these wise men, I hope we learn a few things. I want you guys to remember this. Your faith must lead to action. Your knowledge must lead to worship. Not just more Bible verses. Not how much you know the Bible. Good for you. Do you know the one who wrote it? Do you know the one who wrote it? What good are love letters if you don't know the person writing them? You know, Amanda's grandmother, she's so, she was so sweet. She, we lost her a couple years ago. But I remember one time, she, I think she took Amanda and I into the garage, and she had boxes, 
again, understand this. My father-in-law said this to me. Armando, before I graduated from high school, I moved 19 times. He was a Navy, Navy kid. And he said, and so she had in this garage, she opened it up, and her, his, Amanda's dad's name is Ted Theodore, called him Teddy. She goes, this was Teddy's first Little League shirt. This was his Mother's Day card to me when he was six. And she had boxes of this stuff for him and his brother. Why? Because she had all these memories and she wanted to hold on to them to remind her of her kids. This is to remind us of our Savior. And it has all the jewels in it, all the gifts, all the memories right here. So let's not just know the word. We got to know the God who wrote the word. And it should, it should, it should cause us to cause us to give thanks, cause us to humble ourselves as these wise men did. And they go away, and they go away rejoicing. They go away rejoicing because they saw the one, they found the one they were looking for. You know what's so crazy about that? God's looking for you. He's looking for you. Will you surrender your life? Let's pray and ask God to bless our time as we get ready for communion. Father, as we come before you now, meet us at your table once again. Remind us of the great love you have for us, Lord, a love, Lord, that goes to the cross for us, Lord, that conquers our enemies, that pays our price.